Let's jump right into our message today, because last week we started off a brand new sermon series where we're looking together at the life of David, and we're going to be doing this all through the summertime, leading all the way up to, the, to school relaunching and in the fall. We're going to each week be looking at a different moment in time in the life of David, and this week we get to cover one of my all-time favorite stories, one of the, what I just think is such a cool story in the Bible. Today we're going to be looking at David and Goliath. So last week we talked about David being anointed uh, by Samuel the prophet to become the next king of Israel, and then this period of waiting takes place. So here we go. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. We'll spend all of our time here. So if you've got your Bible or Bible app and want to follow along, or it'll be here on the screen and also in your note sheet there. So I'm going to jump right in. Chapter 17 of 1 Samuel starts like this. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko and Judah and Azekah in Ephesdemim. Now, I actually practice these, whether you know this or not, and I write them out phonetically, but still stumble on them. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Palestinian, so the Pal- Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Here's a picture I've actually got for you. This is really cool. This is actually from an archaeological site that's been being excavated since 2005, where there's this ancient defensive fortification built right where the Bible says this battle took place. And this is on the Israel side looking out over this valley. And you can see this would have been the Israel, uh, Israelite camp on this side. And on the other side would have been the Philistine camp. Okay, And then you have the valley in between where uh, we're going to now see what's taking place. So then it says, verse 4, then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Now, This giant that's described here is absolutely massive. Goliath is not just massive in height, but he's also incredibly strong. Look at the details that the Bible gives us here. The Bible gives us such incredible details. It says that his coat, his his mail, his armor weighed 125 pounds. Now, here's a picture I have for you of an American soldier loaded out with his field pack weighing anywhere between 60 and 120 pounds. Now, picture this guy going into hand-to-hand, to-the-death combat, wearing that on his back. And that's just the weight of Goliath's shirt. He's also wearing all this other armor as well. It says that the shaft of his spear was as heavy as a weaver's beam with a 15-pound iron head. Now, maybe you don't throw spears very often, right? Maybe you're not into the spear throwing, but in the Olympics, the javelin that they throw, the men's javelin weighs 1.8 pounds. I've got a picture of a guy who recreated this for the Creation Museum so that you get an idea of what a 15-pound spearhead looks like on a shaft the size of a weaver's beam. Imagine throwing that across the battlefield. 
What a champion to have on your side. And he volunteers to go out on the battlefield to fight against Goliath. You see, championship warfare, champion warfare, was a common way that battles were fought in the Bronze and Iron Age. Most often, you have to understand that during the fighting season, these armies would go to the disputed border regions where they would line up across from each other and they would fight each other, but they didn't really want to lose huge amounts of soldiers over a city on the border that probably changed hands every few years anyway. So, instead of sending your whole army out to fight, you would send out a champion. One champion was going to determine what happened with these contested border regions. And obviously, in the champion department, the Philistines have the upper hand. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming? Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves." I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now, can you picture this incredible scene across the hills? You have the armies dug in, ready to fight. Out in the middle, somewhere you have Goliath, and he's come out. He's taunting the Israelites, and nobody wants to make eye contact with anyone else, right? Because you do not want to get picked for this job to go down and fight this champion. It goes on. It says, Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, the uh, Ephrathite, from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so that he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. So let's get this straight, friends. David has been anointed as the next king of Israel, and where do we find him? He's still with the sheep. Even though the army has been mustered, he's still with the sheep. He's not in the palace. He's not at university. He's not on the battlefield. He's still at his dad's house watching his dad's sheep. He's still <coughs> being forced to go back and forth between home and the front lines. And he's still responsible for his dad's sheep, even though it appears later in the story there's other people who can do this job. So Jesse tells David, I want you to take a care package to your older brothers who are at the battlefield. And he sends him off with all this food to take to his brothers. And when David arrives at the front line, he, he sees and hears this incredible display going on. He hears Goliath's taunts. And David notices nobody's doing anything about it. There's nothing happening. And he notices everybody around is just scared to death. Nobody wants to do anything. See, Goliath has created a climate of fear amongst the people of Israel. And everybody in the army had concluded that there's no way any of us can win a battle with Goliath. See? They were listening to the wrong person. Again, verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. One translation says they were so frightened they couldn't do anything. Now let me ask you, why is the army of Israel so discouraged by this one giant? Remember, 
Israel has a long history of dealing with giants in their past. During the conquest of the promised land, Caleb, who was one of the spies who was sent out to scout the land before they took possession, Caleb went into the land, and when he came back with the 11 other spies, they said, hey, the land is great, but... There are giants living in the land with enormous cities. But the rest of the uh, spies said, and so we, we're done, right? We can't do anything. These gi- there's giants in the land. But Caleb said, oh yeah, there's giants, but God's with us. And if God's with us, then he will deliver the giants just as he's promised to do. But all the talk about giants scared the Israelites so badly that the Bible says that they began to openly revolt against Moses and Aaron and the leadership of Israel. This thought of facing giants scared them so bad that they sinned in such a way that it caused that entire generation to wander around the desert for the next 40 years until the last one of them passed away. And after 40 years goes by, Caleb, who's still alive, God spared Caleb, he still wants to fight a giant. I just love Caleb. Caleb hasn't changed. He wants to fight the giants. Joshua 14, 10 through 12 says, Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and, and, and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I'm 85 years old. And I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak. Now that's the giants he's talking about, living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I'll drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. And that, friends, is exactly what Caleb did. Caleb and his men go to the hill country and they drive out the people who possess that land. And now, once again, I think it's amazing, here we are, once again, the giant is there, he's taunting Israel, and the people have responded once again with fear. Goliath is coming out and they're listening every single day to his voice. It says this, for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Forty days! They've listened to this. Morning and night. For 40 days, they've done nothing about the taunts of this giant. 1 Samuel 17, 22. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Verse 25, have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and, listen to this, the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. Yeah. (laughs) David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yep, that's the reward for killing him. But when David's older brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. 
What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you were supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Now, see, one of the sad truths that we see in this story and played out in our lives as well, sometimes it's your own family who can be the really the biggest challenge to you in you stepping into and following God's dream and plan for your life. We see this actually all throughout the Bible. We saw it at Joseph. We saw it with Moses. We see it with David. And we certainly know Jesus had to deal with this. You remember Jesus' half-brothers and sisters came and said, we gotta, you got to get out. you got to stop talking like this. you got to leave. You're, you, you're out of your mind, they tell Jesus. After the resurrection, of course, when you see your once-dead brother raised again to life, they began to change. But Jesus' own family struggled with Jesus' ministry. And it's true, friends, all throughout the Bible we see this. So David ends up in front of King Saul. And here's their conversation. He says, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'm going to go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. You're a boy, and this guy's been a man since he was a boy. Okay? You are not going to win against Goliath. Everyone around him is saying it's not possible. You cannot possibly do this. There's no way. You of all people, remember, he's the runt of Jesse's family. He was the one they didn't even bring in when, uh, when Samuel came to anoint the next leader of Israel. He was known for his beautiful eyes, right? David is not going out to fight against a giant. Now, here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. The rest of our time I want to spend on what did David do that enabled him, equipped him, empowered him to be able to go out and fight this giant? Because actually, I believe that the same things David did are the things you and I can do when we face difficulty, when we face struggle, when we face obstacles in our life. These are what we can do as well. So here's the first one, if you're a note taker, uh, the first fill in the blank or the first spot there on the app. Is the number one thing he did. David remembered how God had helped him in the past. He remembered how God had helped him in the past. See, that's the first thing that you and I have to do when we're facing difficult situations or giants. If we're going to take hold of God's dream, we have to remember how God has been faithful to us in the past. This is a place where we build our faith, when we recall, when we recollect, when we remember how God has helped us in the past. That gives us faith for our future. You have to remember that time that you thought, there's no way I'm going to make it through this situation. But God helped you. You have to remember that time that you thought it was the end, but it wasn't. You have to remember that time that you thought you were at rock bottom, but that God lifted you out. You have to remember the time that you felt most alone, but how God comforted you and lifted you out of that situation. You have to remember how God has helped you in the past. And David does this very thing in verse 36. David tells uh, him, he says, I've done this to both lions and bears. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. 
for he has defied the armies of the living God. See, he trusted God's faithfulness because he knew God had been faithful to him in the past. God gave David this confidence over a life lived so that when he came to this moment, it wasn't new to him. He had taken risks for God before and seen how God comes through for David. We can see a practical example. Actually, here's what I'm going to do today. I love this. David in the Psalms is constantly doing this thing, remembering what God has done. So let's look at how David encouraged himself in a time where he needed to be reminded and needed to remember. Let's look at Psalm 103 together. Psalm 103, David writes this, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise His holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Now listen, may I never forget the good things He does for me. And now from this point forward in the psalm, David is going to remind himself of the good things that God's done for him and for his people Israel. Number verse 3. He forgives all my sin and heals all my disease. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercy. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever for those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there, he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord. Everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom, let all that I am praise the Lord. David remembered. David reminded himself. He was intentional to remember and remind himself of God's past faithfulness. If you're facing a difficult situation, if you're in a crisis, if you're up against it, I would recommend you do this same thing. Be reminded today. Remember today. God is faithful. And he is never, ever, ever going to let you go. So first, David, remember God's faithfulness. Second, <clears throat> second thing he did is he used the tools that God had given him. This is an important one. He used the tools God had given him. He didn't wait to get something new before he started to follow and be obedient to God. He used the tools that God had given him, the tools that God had made available to him, the tools that God had trained him on up until this point. When David goes and sees Saul, Saul wants him to fight in the way that Saul would have gone out and fought. Saul wants him to put on his armor. Saul wants him to carry his weapons into war. Now, just as a quick sidebar, who should have been the one to go out to fight Goliath? 
Do you remember why they chose Saul in the first place? He was bigger and stronger than all the other men in Israel. That's why they picked him. He's their leader. He's the one that's got the armor. He's the one that's got the sword. He's the one that should have gone, but he was afraid just like the rest of them. So now he wants David to go out and do it how he would have done it. Verse 38, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. He said, this is what I'm used to. I'm used to using my slingshot. I don't need your armor. See, David knew he didn't need to become Saul. He needed to be David. David knew he needed to operate out of his own unique gifting and his own unique shape. We talk a lot about shape around here. Each one of us is different. We all have our own different set of spiritual gifts, our own different passions and heart, our own different abilities, our own different personality, our own different experience. So he doesn't try to become Saul. He instead is David. That's who God made him to be. And David knew this very well. In fact, he tells us in Psalm 139, 13 through 16, you made all of the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. And this wasn't just true for David, friends. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, David knew he didn't need to be Saul. He needed to be David. He needed to be who God had called him to be. He needed not to wait and sit on the sideline until he had what he needed. He needed to be obedient to God's call and step out in faith in his own unique shape and gifting. And here's the third thing he needed to do. He expected God to help him. He expected God to help him. This is what David did. And this is what you and I must do as we move forward in this life, especially if we're going to take hold of God's dream for our life. We call this the faith factor. And I just love what David says to Goliath. Just picture this for me, friends, as he runs out on the battlefield. Verse 41. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt, here's this word again, at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. So get picture this. He'd be nasty here, okay? Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. So this is an intense exchange happening. David, young boy David, 15, replies to the Philistine, 
You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Now, wait a minute. Who? The Lord will conquer you, and I'll kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. Whose battle? The Lord's battle. And he will give you to us. What are you expecting God to do in your life? Because see, the Bible says these crazy things, like, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And the just shall live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And whatever is not faith is sin. So my question is, what are you expecting God to do in your life and on your behalf? Because the good news is, friends, and David knew this oh so well, we don't have to be the smartest, strongest, best-looking people. We just have to be faithful. We just have to be obedient to God. David had no business going out to fight this champion. This is not a military victory. This is not smart on a military basis. He didn't judge us and think, you know, actually, I think with my sling, if I got the right angle. No, 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 no. This is miraculous. This is God working through David. And David understood this. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his weakness or his strength. It wasn't about his ability. It was about the fact that in faith he was stepping out and believing, just as Caleb did at age 85, that if we are faithful, God will be faithful, that God will do what he said he will do. Verse 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. And Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Now, this is the part in Sunday school they skip. <clears throat> then David ran over and pulled out Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sherium as far as Gath and Ekron when the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took the Philistine head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. This is a miraculous victory that God gives to David. And I think it's so key for you and I to understand this process that David went through, where David remembered, he reminded himself of God's past faithfulness. He made the decision that he wasn't going to take on Saul's baggage and everything else everybody thought he should do, but that he was going to operate in his own gifting and his own shape and enter into this battlefield trusting and believing and knowing that God would ultimately be the one who decided if he was victorious or not. He decided to take a chance on God. He decided to see, friends, 
if God was really able to do what he said he would do. And just as every single character in the Bible discovers, God is able. And he is willing. David knew without a shadow of a doubt where his help came from. David knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was God's victory. In fact, he tells us in Psalm 121, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you would come and go, both now and forever. Band, you can come back up. Friends, David had this unshakable faith that God would do what he said he would do. Let me ask you about how you're doing today. In the faith department, with what you're facing in this life. And I promise, some of you are facing some big difficulties, but facing Goliath with his 15-pound spearhead was a serious obstacle. What are you facing today? What are you facing today that you need to be reminded of just how faithful our God is to caring for and watching over His people? See, one of the things I love about this story is we actually have a parallel of something that Jesus did for you and I. Did you know that we also have an accuser who stands before us and mocks us and mocks our God? The Bible tells us that our enemy, the devil, is the accuser of the brethren. That he's mocking constantly. And let me just say, as you look and as you watch, you think, who can possibly go out and fight against this terrible enemy? And someone stepped forward on our behalf. Jesus Christ went out onto the field of battle and laid down his own life so that you and I could enter into the goodness, the peace, the rest, the power of God. We had an enemy that there was no way that we could lick on our own, but Jesus entered the field of battle for us. Friends, I believe today that many of you have seen the giant that you're facing, the situation, the circumstance, and just like the people of Israel, you've sized up the giant and you've come to the decision, the conclusion, that there's just no way that you can move forward into the thing that God's asked you to do. And I just want to pray today as we begin to worship again that this same thing that David did would happen in this place, that we would be encouraged today by the past faithfulness of God, that you would be reminded that God uniquely made you for this circumstance and situation, that you're a masterpiece in God's eyes, and that God is with you, and if He is with you, who can stand against you? Because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. 
Friends, today is a day for courage. Today is a day to draw from the strength of God, to no longer sit and be terrified of stepping into God's dream for your life, but to say, hey, if God's in this, then he has the provision I need to move forward. So I want to encourage you with me. Just stand. We're going to begin to worship the Lord. You can stand now. Yep. We're going to worship the Lord. And I just believe if you are here today and you are in need of some courage, you are in need of some help, you are in need of some comfort, you are in need. Well, actually, the good news for you is that the same Holy Spirit that filled David, that gave him the courage to go out on that battlefield and face Goliath, is in us who believe in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit will, in this place today, move in such a way that he will once again blow, fan into flame that courage, that desire to go and try stuff for God, to go and do what the Lord is calling us to do. So God, here's my prayer for my friends in this place today, is that we will stop listening to the voice of the liar. We will stop listening to the voice of the accuser. We will stop listening to our enemy who stands before us. And we will be reminded and we will uh, remember what you have done in the past and what you have said. That today we will be a church that's built on your truth and your word and not the voice of our enemy. And that today in this place, courage would begin to rise up once again to take the next step in our faith journey to taking hold of God's dream for our lives. I pray that you would move in our midst as we worship today. In Jesus' name, amen.